I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. So now we're here with Michelle Caruso Cabrera, a Democrat running for Comptroller. Welcome to Max and Murphy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what what brings you to this race. Uh, You know... I have been a journalist for most of my life, uh, and I think that a lot of people may wonder why I want to make the switch, because I think there's this misperception that the controller's office is this kind of unsexy accounting job, right? But in reality, it is a check and balance on the mayor and on the New York City Council. And what does that precisely mean? That means, you know, being a good fiduciary for the pension fund, so that way our city employees uh, can retire. And it also means following the money, using the power of the office and the power of the audit to make sure that you stay on top of every dollar to deliver the outcomes that we really need in this city. And I, and I firmly believe that the powers that be did not prepare us for the challenges that we face right now here in New York City. And why I want this job is because I have spent decades covering financial crises all over the world. And here's what I've seen over and over again. Those who can least afford to pay for the crisis end up paying the most. They always bear the biggest burden. That's already happening here in New York City, and we have to stop it. That's why I am running for controller, because if we're going to turn the tide here in New York City, we need a chief financial officer who's going to be focused on the outcomes that we need. Take us back, pretend to 2017, 18, 19. What, if you were comptroller, would you have done to better position the city for this, I would say, probably uh, somewhat unexpected crisis, the pandemic? Ask yourself the following question. The budget under Bill de Blasio is $20 billion bigger than when he came into office. Does the city feel $20 billion better to you? We have a $92 billion budget. And yet, in Elmhurst, I saw with my own eyes, lines and lines, hundreds of people trying to get help during the coronavirus. We had thousands of blacks and Latinos die needlessly across the city. It's not about how much we are spending. It is that we are spending it badly. Now, I think Scott Stringer had good intentions, but the fact of the matter is he is supposed to be the city's financial watchdog and our spending on health, our spending on homelessness, our spending on mental health. The results have been abysmal. I would have been much more active about calling out what I see is mismanagement. Again, it's not about how much we are spending. We have plenty of money. So we spent it badly and we need to create a New York City that is financially resilient because yes, as you said, this was unsurprised and uh, was surprising and unpredicted, but it's almost every 10 years we get something that's surprising and unpredicted, whether it's Hurricane Sandy, a financial crisis, et cetera. So we have to have systems that make the city resilient for whatever comes our way. Let's say you're elected and you have a chance to address some of that. Obviously, going forward, there'll need to be attention to repairing the damage done by the pandemic and also addressing some of the issues that existed beforehand. Focus on health, uh, using the powers of the comptroller in terms of oversight, audit. How would you improve the way the city is uh, addressing the health of its people and especially some of those communities hardest hit by COVID? Uh, 
first two agencies that I would want to audit are the NYPD and health and hospitals, for sure. Um, whenever you're dealing with these questions, you have to follow the money. You have to, it's not just a matter of looking at the budget. Uh, my experience of more than 20 years of looking at income statements, cash flow statements, balance sheets, those are extremely important. And when you drill down into them and scrutinize every dollar, you can come up with much better answers about why and how we should be spending our money. Um, so it's what the specifics would be depends on what you find when you go look at the spending. The city contribution to health and, and hospitals has gone up several hundred percent. I would scrutinize every dollar to figure out where did that money go and how can we spend it better. The pension funds, as you mentioned, are a major part of the comptroller's job, managing those and overseeing them and working with the pension boards to control them. Uh, do you think that Scott Stringer has done uh, a good job at that or the things you would do differently in terms of managing the pensions? So first and foremost, number one uh, with the pension funds, when you're the comptroller, is you've got to be a good fiduciary. And that's a, a very specific legal term, which is you have to do what's in the best interests of the beneficiaries, which are city employees and also our city retirees. Uh, so that's the first step. Um, I applaud uh, his encouragement and the decision of three of the pension funds to divest from fossil fuels. I think that's very forward looking, especially when you look at what General Motors recently announced, that they're going to stop producing fuel-powered cars in parts of the world by 2025, 2030. Uh, so that's a, that's a good way to look at, at investments and to make sure that they're forward-looking and that we're investing in what is the future. Um, you can't, of course, force the pension funds to do that. You're not the only person making the decision. They've each got a board. Um, but you know, I would continue to push for things that are important to me that are moral issues, but don't necessarily, but at the same time, uh, don't conflict with, of course, being a good fiduciary for our city employees. Are there issues besides climate that come to mind that, that fall into that category? Yeah, I think there's there's a big movement right now, and I think it's an important one to deal with human trafficking, modern day slavery, indentured servitude, making sure that that is eliminated from the supply chain. And there's a lot of work being done around the world to um, to do that and, and frameworks where you can look at an investment and see how that's involved. So that's something that I would encourage the pension funds to do for sure, because it all comes back to the core values that I've talked about before, right? Making sure we have a comeback that is equitable and inclusive. And, and those things that I've talked about go along with the values of New York City. Just getting back for a second to the questions about the oversight role on spending and, and how money is spent. And, and you know, you do an audit. The comptroller does audits by, by charter. He has to or she has to every few years audit every agency. An audit comes. It's a big, boring looking document. It hits. And then sometimes things happen. Sometimes things don't. How, how would you sort of go from that statutory responsibility to actually achieving change? What's the mechanisms you would use to kind of get some real oomph into that? Because obviously the comptroller can't actually tell the mayor, look, you got to stop spending on X and spend it on Y. So how do you influence that? Uh, you got to use the bully pulpit for sure. But um, when, when, you when you do an audit, when you have an income statement, when you have a balance sheet and a cash flow statement, these are incredibly revealing documents. They are powerful. 
uh, they can uh, be used as weapons, they can be used as tools. So my job as a reporter was to explain things very clearly and to use all those documents to explain very clearly what the problems are and why the spending isn't addressing the outcomes that we want, which is, you know, bringing back jobs, bringing back investment, delivering a recovery that is equitable and inclusive. I would be uh, as vocal a proponent of those changes as possible to ensure that uh, we're spending money properly. The last several comptrollers have increasingly used the office not just to do the things we've talked about already, but also to propose new policies to say the city's got a problem with domestic violence. It should do this or the city has a a child care deficit and we might consider doing this. Do you see that as part of the job? And are there particular areas where you would focus sort of your policy wonk policy proposing lens? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you do an audit, you can look at where the money is going, follow the money, and then you can also see what else has worked or hasn't worked. Um, For example, the Comptroller's Office just put out uh, a whole piece on uh, evidence-based programming when it comes to uh, the NYPD. And I think we can all agree that far too long the NYPD has not served our Black and Latino and LGBT and Asian communities uh, in a way that was meant to protect and serve. Um, And so when you read this most recent report, you see the evidence-based programs, uh, a lot of which I agree with, Cure Violence, which we already have in parts of New York. It's uh, an approach that was uh, put forth by an epidemiologist. It's very interesting to look at crime that way. And they've been very effective at reducing crime in different parts of the city and across the country. And I think we should expand that. Also, the Madison method, which is, you know, shorthand is crowd control, but it's about making sure that you have uh, a way to uh, have people gather and and have their fundamental rights to protest protected using a mostly civilian group of people instead of police officers dressed in, uh, you know, garb that is quite frightening and can lead to to more violence. What do you think about the defund the police movement? Which, which is obviously a, a moral, social issue with some policy implications. And obviously, I think you alluded earlier, auditing the NYPD, some real budget implications. It's a huge part of the city's spending. Yeah, I think we, we can agree that for far too long, the NYPD hasn't served our Black communities, our Latino communities, Asian, LGBT communities. They are sworn to protect and serve. And we've had a pattern of misconduct and brutality, and that needs to end for once and for all. Um, you know, this past summer... The whole nation came together to mourn the loss of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And I think what we need to do is refocus on the true reform efforts that we talked about so much. Now, what does that mean for the controller's office? It means auditing it, uh, auditing the NYPD, allocating money away from over-policing, and instead putting more money towards evidence-based programs that reduce crime. And what's important about all of these programs is it's all about working with the community, making sure that you rebuild trust that has been lost uh, for far too long between the NYPD and the people they're supposed to serve. You changed your voter registration from Republican to Democrat in 2015 or 16 and 15. And you ran uh, in 2000. 
20 against uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the Democratic primary for her congressional seat. Um, given sort of that political trajectory, how would you describe your, your politics, your ideology? Where do you sit on the spectrum of, you know, progressive, centrist, conservatives in the city? Yeah, I'm glad you've asked this question because I want to set the record straight once and for all. I have been quite open about the fact that I changed my registration uh, back in 2015 uh, to Democrat and in uh, political dog years, that would be a millennia ago. That was pre-Trump. And uh, even though I changed my registration in 2015, say mentally on substantive policy issues, I had already been there for a long time. You know, when I grew up and where I grew up, being a Republican was automatic. My parents were Republicans, the neighbors, the teachers uh, were Republicans. And I'm a proud Latina. I come from a Cuban family. And Cubans, Cuban-Americans have historically been affiliated with the Republican Party because of the connection, uh, because of the legacy of Castro. But as I got older, I realized that on substantive issues, I just didn't align with the Republican Party. I have been ardently pro-choice all my life, uh, pro-same-sex marriage. Um, I started writing about trans rights in high school when I was the editor of the paper, and I wrote about these issues when I was the editor of the college paper. And on immigration, I have long been a supporter of much more open immigration to the United States. Um, I believe a pathway to citizenship is absolutely essential. New York City is home to more than three million immigrants. You know, they're nearly half our workforce. They're a third of the population. Of course, we should be a sanctuary city for these people. Does that sound like the Republican Party that you know? I was I was really saddened when my fellow Wellesley alum, Hillary Clinton, did not win the presidency. Um, I really wanted to see that. I wanted to see the first woman president uh, have come from Wellesley and, and she would have been great. So when it comes to this race and my plans, everything I've talked about, those are democratic policies, democratic values. And that's what I bring to the controller race. What's the daylight between you and, say, the AOC wing of the party? Um, you know, I ran against AOC because. I was outraged by what I saw with Amazon. I believed, and I believe to this day, that Queens would be much better off if we had those thousands of jobs, especially now. And I wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal in an op-ed. And by the way, it was a hardly a controversial position, right? The mayor wanted it. The governor wanted it. The public wanted it. Um, so, you know, I think that's a perfect example of the difference between me and that wing of the party. So in the minute or so we have left, we're just two journalists talking. You're an experienced reporter. You've done thousands of stories. Uh, if you were writing about this contest for New York City Comptroller, you know, what's what's your lead graph? How do you see this story playing out? You've got a bunch of electeds who obviously have name recognition and more money, and then a lot of other interesting candidates, including the one being interviewed right now. What do you think the story is here? Here's the story. The likely winner of this race is someone who is not a career politician. She's someone with 30 years of experience, not 30 years of owing political favors to other politicians. Her name is Michelle Caruso Cabrera. She has been following the money for decades, asking hard questions about how the money is being spent. And that's exactly what the next comptroller needs to do to help New York City build a recovery that is equitable and inclusive. 
interesting story. We'll see what our editor has to say about that. But uh, it has been a pleasure to speak with Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Good luck in the race. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.